Support for Industry Focus comes from our identity protection friends at MyIDCare. The massive data breach which occurred this past September puts you at risk. Join more than 25 million Americans who rely on MyIDCare for identity protection. Get started today by visiting MyIDCare.com fool and save 15%. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Michael Douglas, and I'm joined by Matt Frankel, as per usual. Matt, good to see you again. Always a pleasure to be here. All right, fantastic. So, we thought we'd talk about robo-advisors a little bit today because there's news. Wells Fargo is planning to use a robo-advisor, or to be more precise, they're planning to create a robo-advisor. It's called the Intuitive Investor product. And clients are going to need to have a minimum of $10,000 to open an account. And they'll be charged a 0.5% advisory fee, a little bit less in certain circumstances. And we'll talk about that a little bit further down the road. But what's interesting here is that Wells Fargo is following in the footsteps of a lot of small competitors like Betterment, that you've probably heard of, and then also some very large institutional competitors, Vanguard, Charles Schwab, Fidelity, which has a product called Fidelity Go, and Merrill Edge, guided investing by Bank of America. What's interesting about robo-advisors is they're a big market. It's In fact, it's one that's growing pretty quickly. One estimate puts it at $385 billion in assets under management by 2021. So before anything else, let's talk a little bit about what a robo-advisor is. Matt? Sure. Um, so before 2008, uh, all you had were human wealth managers, I guess you would call them, where they charge you a certain percentage of your assets under management in exchange for getting you financial advice and managing your investments for you. Generally, this was between 1% and 2% per year, on top of all the fees charged by whatever mutual funds or ETFs they invest in for you. So, to to kind of solve that problem, I believe Michael actually um, told me that he used one that charged him a lot. Yeah, it was something like uh, 1.5% annually, again, in addition to the fees of the underlying mutual funds. So, I ended up paying something like 3 3.5% annually, which when you think about it, is really long-term can be a lot of money and can really damage your investing returns. When you think about the fact that the stock market historically returns about 6 6.5% after inflation, theoretically, that's eating about half of those returns. Right. I actually just published an article this morning that shows how you can lose hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of a lifetime based on advisory fees alone. Um, so, to solve this problem, this whole robo-advisor concept was born. Uh, started out in the form of what's called a target date fund that would it essentially invests in a combination of other mutual funds and adjusts over time as you get older to you know lower your risk tolerance and you know make the the prudent investing moves that a financial advisor would do. But yeah, and then what's interesting is that sort of the next step was these formal these formal robo advisors. So Betterment launched in two thousand eight. And the idea was essentially this automated solution that automatically rebalances your portfolio among different funds. At the time, usually target date funds. Of course, since then, things have changed. And so that you can kind of say, hey, here's my risk tolerance. Here's kind of what I'm thinking about. And they'll just sort of recommend this allocation and and just work with it. Nowadays, of course, robo-advisors come in a variety of different shapes and flavors because it's been so popular. And so you actually see a move by some institutions toward hybrids. So, robo-advisors that charge low fees, but also provide some access to a human financial planner so you can talk through some of the kind of thornier tax issues that pop up from time to time when you're investing and, and when you have a lot of 
complicated stuff, basically, in your financial life. Right. So this would be a situation where um, you still need some access to a person. You pretty much want your investments on autopilot for the most part. But there are some situations where, you know, say you inherit some money and you want to know what's the best thing to do with it. Or you're facing a big tax bill this year because you've sold some of your other investments and need to know what to do. It provides you some access to an actual person where you can ask questions like that. Yeah. And as you can imagine, in most cases, that results in a slightly higher asset center management fee than for your typical robo-advisors. Now, to keep just to be clear, just to give you kind of a sense of what robo-advisors are usually charging, it's usually pretty close to that half a percent. Now, some of them are a little bit lower, some of them are a little bit higher, but just to give you a sense, you're, you're moving from a 1% to 2% asset center management fee for a traditional wealth manager down to around half a percent. So that's really a substantial savings for most investors. And I think that's one of the key upshots that everyone should be aware of. Robo-advisors are helping drive down fees across the board. That is objectively a good thing for investors, even if you don't personally invest with robo-advisors, and I don't, because it just means that that downward pressure on fees is continuing just kind of across the board. And this is um, one of the reasons why you've seen a lot of the bro- even the discount brokerages drop their stock trading commissions. Uh, I know personally I use TD Ameritrade, and they just dropped theirs from $9.99 to $6.99. Um, even human financial advisors are getting more toward the 1% of that 1% to 2% range. So this has really had a lot of pressure just across the board. And what's interesting as well is that robo-advisors still make up a relatively small percentage of the overall wealth management space. And so that means both that they have a lot of potential growth opportunity, but then also that there's a lot more disruption perhaps still to do with traditional wealth managers in terms of kind of bringing down those fees. And the question I think will be where we hit that final equilibrium. You know, for some people, they're going to use personal wealth, you know, human wealth managers long term. For other people, though, robo advisors often make a lot of sense. And particularly, that's true for a lot of younger investors. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, it's a pretty untapped market at this point. Uh, the statistic you gave earlier. That um, by 2021, it's expected to be about 385 billion under management. Right. Just to kind of put that in perspective, Goldman Sachs alone has over a trillion dollars in assets under management. So this is still and is expected to remain a relatively small portion of the advisory business for uh, for the next the foreseeable future. Yeah. So actually, this highlights a good question that I think a lot of people are going to be asking, which is when might it make sense to use a human financial planner and not merely a robo-advisor? Um, sure. Um, basically, if you want your investments on autopilot and your situation, your financial life is not very complicated, a robo-advisor might be a good idea. If you have a more complicated situation, let's say you need estate planning advice, mm-hmm. like your the value of your estate is going to be over the taxable threshold, or if you have a really complex tax situation, or you want insurance planning advice or something like that, that a robo-advisor is just not going to give you. Um, in that case, or if you're a very high net worth individual and want access to you know, other investment opportunities, perhaps, any of those situations where it's a little more complicated, you might want to look into actually talking to a person. But still, it's even if you do that, it's worth shopping around for the fees. Because like I said, this is putting 
pressure on the whole industry to keep their costs in line. Right. And <clears throat> of course, there are the people in between for whom a hybrid model, sort of a robo-advisor that's handling kind of the day-to-day investing, but then a wealth manager who is perhaps checking in a couple times a year and talking about specific tax issues and things like that could really be very useful. Anyway, point is, everyone's financial circumstances are different, and we can't tell you which one makes the most sense for you, but it is a really interesting, low-cost option, and it's one that's made tremendous difference in the broader space of wealth management, and that is, again, objectively a good thing. Now, if everything we've talked about so far makes robo-advisors interesting to you, and you want to learn more about what different robo-advisors charge and sort of thinking about the the quantitative and qualitative ways of thinking about sort of what robo-advisors might make sense for you, um, you're in the right place. We don't have time to get into the nooks and crannies of how each robo-advisor works and what fees you might pay in this episode. But fortunately, Matt is currently writing a great piece with that deeper background that we'll publish by the time this episode hits iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So send us a note at industryfocus@fool.com. If you want to learn more about how you might benefit from robo-advisors and kind of how they work and get a side-by-side comparison so that you can kind of take that information, do a little bit more research and figure out what makes most sense to you. And I'll be happy to send that article to you. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And just make sure to let us know it's the article about robo-advisors. Yeah, I'm going to try to do the, the hard work for you. <laughs> I'll do the comparison shopping for you guys. Well, and frankly, that's what we try to do here at The Motley Fool, is just in general, make things easier. Take what is complex, make it simple. Put it in a chart so that everyone can easily understand it. So we'll get into the other part of robo-advising, which is the business case for them, in just a minute. But first, a message from our sponsors. Support for Industry Focus comes from our identity protection friends at MyIDCare. Equifax had a huge data breach in September of 2017. The breach exposed personal information for more than half the U.S. adult population. Likely some of your most sensitive and valuable personal information was compromised in the breach. Hackers seized names, social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, and even some driver's license information. That massive data breach puts your personal information at even greater risk. MyIDCare will protect you. Their best-in-class identity protection covers all types of identity theft, from medical ID theft to child identity theft. They have you covered. Enroll today to get credit and dark web monitoring, a million dollars insurance, and a 100% success rate in restoring identities. Join the more than 25 million Americans who depend on MyIDCare for protection. Get 15% off by visiting myidcare.com slash fool today. Again, that's M-Y-I-D-C-A-R-E dot com slash F-O-O-L or myidcare.com slash fool today. Okay, so we've talked a lot about why robo-advisors are really useful for investors, either whether you invest personally with a robo-advisor or whether you're still using a financial advisor and they've lowered their fees as a result. But let's also talk a little bit about why it makes sense for Wells Fargo specifically to be getting into this space. Well, it's it's just the direction that customers are going. People are becoming more and more aware of investment fees. Um, 20, 30 years ago, before the internet became popular, if you ask the average person how much they're paying in investment fees, they would have no idea. There's still a lot of that to some extent, but now people are getting more aware of what they're paying. It's easy for anybody to trade a stock online. So you see all these E-Trade and TD Ameritrade commercials advertising rock bottom commissions, um, advertising robo-advisory services with really low 
um, like you said, 0.5 or below as, uh, fees of assets under management. So it's kind of just where their customers are going. And they said in their press release that um, there are a lot of their customers, especially uh, I think I said 20 million millennials and Generation Xers alone who currently do not have an investment account with the bank. So this is kind of their way to attempt to take customers who would otherwise go to Betterment, TD Ameritrade, Vanguard, Charles Schwab, and bring them into the Wells Fargo family. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense from, I think, a cross-selling perspective as well. I mean, you could see these robo-advisors increasingly sort of self-disrupting, particularly in the big institutions, right? You could see, of course, it's not the case right now, but you could see a Wells Fargo one day offering its robo-advisor for free if you have a checking account or a credit card or something like that. So it's basically this opportunity to kind of cross-sell people and then bring them further and further into your bank's ecosystem. And in fact, although Wells Fargo is not offering its robo-advisor for free to anyone, or at least doesn't plan to right now, they are planning to offer a lower assets under management fee for people who have a certain amount of assets in sort of your checking and savings accounts. Right. And there's um there are a few cases where it actually is free. I think Schwab is one of the big ones that offers free uh, free robo advisory service. They have they actually have two. They have one that's free and one that costs money as in their hybrid platform. Mm-hmm. But they the reason they do that is because their customers' accounts are invested in Schwab mutual funds or ETFs or I think I'm not sure which one. But it's invested in Schwab investment products, which in turn brings them in fees. So it's worth giving their advisory service away for free. Right. And essentially, they can use it as a loss leader and then sort of pull in the money a little bit further down the pipeline. Because again, when you're thinking about fees that you're paying and investing, if you're working with a wealth manager or a robo advisor, there's, of course, the advice, the management fee, which is, again, that 0.5% or, again, for most human ones, sort of in that 1% to 2% range. And then there's also the underlying fees for the accounts. Uh, for sorry for the funds and what that means is Schwab can still make money even while they're offering something for free and so it's a great way to just pull people in then get them further and further into the Schwab ecosystem it's a- eventually it seems these are all going to trend down lower and lower to where people can invest for free um, just pay the fund the fund fees themselves and that's one of the interesting things for me about institutions doing this because institutions can both have the financial wherewithal to take some losses and also have the ability to, you know, they've created their own funds. And so they can sort of take this initial loss anyway, you know, go to 0% fee and then make the rest on the funds and their expense ratios. And for me, long term, it kind of begs the question, what will happen to the little guys? Right. There's no way of really knowing at this point, but it does seem like the, especially the uh, big institutions that offer their own line of funds definitely have a leg up on the smaller guys and on banks like Wells Fargo too, that don't offer their own funds. But like you said, they have the cross selling potential to kind of offset the cost in other areas. Whereas like a, a betterment, if, if they can't charge a fee, how are they going to make money? Right. And long-term perhaps this argues for greater vertical integration across all of finance, you could see, you know, as banks continue to diversify, some of them sort of really going fully into this idea of creating their own mutual funds and sort of doing 
doing all the different parts of someone's financial life so that they can really do everything in one place. It'll be an interesting thing to see sort of long term whether that ends up panning out and how our banks are structured five and 10 and 20 years from now. And also how the vanguards of the world are structured as well as they sort of try to compete on really, at least so far, a really strictly kind of fund and personal advice basis against some of these larger, more diversified institutions. Well, Vanguard has the competitive advantage that their funds themselves are a lot cheaper. Oh, yeah. Which is, which is their big draw. I mean, if you're paying a 50.5% uh, of your assets with Wells Fargo, who has it invested in fees that charge you another 0.5%, but Vanguard's charges, I, I think it's 0.3 something, and then the funds charge practically nothing. I think Vanguard's S&P 500 index fund is down to 0.04%. Mm, something like that. Yeah, so th that's their big advantage of how they can stay competitive. And that is one of the reasons that among robo-advisors, Vanguard Personal Advisor Services has, as of this filming at least, the largest assets under management, around $65 billion as of May fifteenth, 2017. So, which, just to give you a sense, number two is Schwab Intelligent Portfolios at about $16 billion as of March thirty first, 2017. So a really, really big delta, and that's because Vanguard has so far at least such an attractive platform so there's going to be a lot of different trends here to watch and again as you're thinking about what might make sense for you having all the information at your fingertips makes a lot of sense so drop us a note at industryfocus.fool.com matt is finishing up that fantastic article which will really kind of give a lot of those a lot of that specific information that can be helpful in terms of head-to-head -head comparing robo-advisors and figuring out what might make the most sense to you again Industry focus at fool.com. Folks, that's it for this week's financial show. Questions, comments, you can always reach us at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people in the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Michael Douglas. Thanks for listening, and fool on. <laughs>